everybody and welcome to Master Series Topical Oxygen Therapy. Thank you for joining us today. We have an excellent 60 minutes of packed uh, session with some global wound experts joining us. And here is our panel tonight. I'm a vascular surgeon here at NYU Langone, Brooklyn, and I've been here for um, a little over 20 years. And uh, we've been interested in wound healing, the lower extremity arterial revascularization and venous disease for, for a number of years. I feel privileged to be with this esteemed panel. Uh, I am um, overall a patient advocate. I'm a therapist. Um, I'm also a wound specialist and lymphedema therapist. And for 32 years, I just based my practice on helping that patient and looking what else we have in our arsenal to move that needle. So uh, I work across the continuum of care, and um, I'm thrilled to be with this panel. I'm a uh, podiatrist practicing in Chicago. Uh, most of my career has been both in private practice and in the Veterans Administration setting, where I've been a residency director and taught residents and students. Um, surgery, wound care, all that. In the VA, we had the opportunity to use a variety of different products on our veterans um, with great success. Um, so... I've been in leadership also, president of the American Podiatric Medical Association, the International Federation of Podiatrists, and most recently I've decided to join AOTI as their chief medical officer, um, kind of on the other side of the fence from where I've been my entire career, but it's been a fascinating experience. I'm a vascular surgeon uh, working in uh, East uh, Brooklyn and uh, have a, a, a very mixed practice from venous disease to arterial disease. And a big portion of that is tibial disease, which is non-reconstructable or very difficult to reconstruct uh, associated with lower extremity wounds. And I've uh, become familiar then with topical wound oxygen as an augmentation for um, wound healing and particularly for recalcitrant wounds. I am a family nurse practitioner. I've been in wound care for about 20 years. Right now, I am the Director of Wound Care Services at the George Washington University Hospital in Washington, D.C., overseeing all inpatient and outpatient wound care activities. I have worked with topical oxygen for over 10 years. Welcome to our global panel. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. It's my pleasure. This is quite an honor to be with this group. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much for the kind invitation. I'm really pleased to be part of this panel. Wound Masterclass Academy has a series um, of 60 minute interactive immersive sessions coming up. Thank you very much for joining us on the November 17th um, master series, which was on pressure injury prevention. If you would like to see this session, if you missed it at the time, um, please click on the on demand on your screen now, and you can actually save that video uh, to watch. And that was the event on November 17th. Now, the event we have tonight is a great program. It's talking about topical oxygen therapy and how you can introduce it into your practice. It tells you it from the beginning, basically the basics of oxygen and wound healing. And then we go into an in-depth look at how to use the technology, what kind of patients we can use them in, and also any tips and tricks for improving oxygen therapy for patients in clinical practice. And then during the 60 minutes, we have a live Q&A session. So please interact with us on the chat. And uh, the screen has also got the virtual exhibitors hall, which you can go into after the session's finished and sort of get to know some of our exhibitors, pick up any papers, documents, 
um, key papers. Any key papers that we discuss, we will link into the chat below. And um, so thank you for staying tuned with us and we really look forward to spending the next 60 minutes with you. So let's start by finding out what the role of oxygen is in wound healing. And um, anyone in the panel like to tackle this question? So on a molecular level, how is oxygen improving wound healing? And, you know, for our viewers and, and readers and subscribers that are out there, we sort of want to know what kind of conditions are we thinking that oxygen may improve? So what kind of wounds um, does oxygen improve? For instance, radiotherapy wounds, is that something um, that we can use oxygen to try and help heal? Um, or are there any other types of scenarios oxygen can assist in healing. So um, let's go to Dr. G. Can I come to you on this one? We've been able to, to treat a variety of different wounds from radiation burns, which have been very difficult to treat in the past, patients with um, sickle cell. We are now treating those patients with this technology, and they've always had a problem healing wounds. And pyoderma granulosum, that has been very difficult to treat. We now have many, many success stories in using topical oxygen to treat these very difficult to heal wounds. So indeed, we are making a difference at the molecular level, changing the way the cells function and the way they communicate to each other, and therefore allowing healing to finally occur in these difficult to heal wounds. Oh, so the scope for the wounds that can be amenable to oxygen therapy is quite wide from what you say then, Dr. Garipolis. So. There still remains, you know, a large percentage of the population, clinicians, nurses, and hyperbaric uh, technicians, basically uh, wound care professionals involved in treatment of patients. There seems to still be a bit of a reluctance to incorporate oxygen into their clinical practice um, as part of an advanced modality to be used alongside standard of care, doing the dressings that they're normally doing and the wound cleaning preparation, etc. Um, so just a question to the panel, why do you think there is this reluctance to incorporate oxygen into clinical practice from the from those clinicians? I think part of it is because of the experience with the hyperbaric chambers has been fairly um, traumatic to some of the clinicians, not only the patients. Um, when we've been dealing with hyperbaric oxygen in the chambers for over 20 years at our center, and I think it did help the wounds, but there are severe complications also associated with um, tension pneumothorax due to bleb disease uh, in the lungs. So we used to screen all the patients before putting them in the chamber for a chest X-ray. Uh, the hypoglycemia in some of our diabetic patients that could be induced with chamber-based oxygen was always a problem because some of our patients that in the early morning shift at five o'clock in the morning, the sugars may not be so great and you have to dive them. And if their sugars are 80, they're really too low to be safely brought into the chamber because you can't really um, bring them back up so easily. Um, I, I think there've been also problems with barotrauma to the tympanic membrane. So, so we do have um, a long experience with chamber-based oxygen. Um, being and its systemic and local complications. Besides the cost, the cost is a major problem. The local home-based therapies are really preferable for many of our elderly patients who coming into the center a couple of times a week was really inconvenient. It was not really helpful. 
And I think also the cost was a, a major problem for the insurance company. So we had several levels of problems with the previous experience that really turned a lot of our patients and a lot of our clinicians off of chamber-based hyperbaric oxygen. Um, I traveled the country and, you know, when I look at the data as a therapist, we want to treat those chronic wounds. And I look at modalities. So there was a study way back then, and I haven't seen a repeat study that shows that 80% of the clinicians treating lower extremity wounds do not know what advanced modalities are. And so wow. when you start looking at, you know, or selection of products, we just don't know what's out there. So we're reluctant to bring anything new because of or lack of knowledge. So interesting, Frank, you and I have had some discussions before about this, you know, the history of oxygen in wound healing uh, therapy. Um, are you able to give our viewers that are watching uh, just an overview of historically how oxygen came into play uh, for treating some of these wound uh, conditions, um, just so they can understand a little bit about the past. And obviously, we're moving forward to try and see the application of oxygen for other wound care conditions. Um, and also, before I ask that, don't forget to um, interact with us in the chat if you have any questions to any of the speakers. And now is the best opportunity to, to use that text chat and we'll um, answer those questions as we're going along. So over to you, Frank. Well, oxygen, of course, you know, hyperbaric was prominent back in the 60s. And um, we know the importance of oxygen is vital to sustain life, but also we know that after you have an injury, uh, the body will, the vasculature will limit the oxygen to the area. Now, having a hypoxic wound is needed, and that's acute hypoxia, because that's what starts some of the processes. But when you have inflammation key makers, that's going to increase the oxygen demand. So if you have prolonged hypoxia, that wound's going to not move to the proliferative phase. So I change the way I practice because I look at oxygen not only with ischemia, not only perfusion, but like people with lymphedema, I'm looking at diffusion. Is that oxygen getting to the, to the actual site? And I have technology that's able to prove that. And so oxygen becomes very important, not only to get to the area, but then the second component is inflammation, which I mentioned. All of wounds are in the inflammatory phase. So we know that oxygen helps with taking care of bacteria. We know that it helps with angiogenesis, but if we have this hypoxic wound, we're not going to progress. And lastly, the third thing I talk about is nutrition, cell health, which means that if we don't have the necessary um, nutrients and the oxygen getting to the cell, then we're going to have a very inactive metabolic cell. So to move the needle with oxygen, topical oxygen just got a bad rep from the beginning because there were poor, poor studies, which we can go over later, but the evidence significant now to show how it can help with everything I just talked about. And when you use it, you know, I'm going to tell you that we all have biases. And so when a patient comes in, we're biased against a lot of modalities, but when you see this working, it will change the way you practice. Oh, interesting, Frank. Yes, you make a mention of obviously advanced technologies, and I'm assuming that uh, you're referring to thermography here for measuring actual oxygenation um, patterns or levels in tissues. Uh, so, I mean, I would suppose that would have a big impact on design of future trials um, because we'd have obviously access to these advanced modalities to use to measure 
how well wounds or tissues are being oxygenated and there'd be an actual sort of objective measurement rather than a subjective measurement in relation to wound size and um, healing times and speeds etc so that's really interesting and I suppose um, in designing future trials um, that will be relevant so we will possibly discuss that a bit later on and if anyone in the audience has any comments um, or, or any questions uh, please interact with us on the chat uh, throughout this uh, 60 minutes um, and then I guess a question that most of our viewers would like to know is how is oxygen delivered to the wound so what are the different methods or the different ways in which oxygen delivery can take place uh, so who would like to come and answer that question from the panel Basically, there's right now for topical oxygen, there's continuous diffusion oxygen, which has been around for a little while um, in a variety of different devices. Um, and then there is cyclical pressurized topical oxygen, which is the newer technology, been around for about 10 years now. Um, and that actually drives oxygen into the wound under pressure. So, it, it, and that's how I first got involved with topical oxygen. I had used many of these devices in the past and, and with an understanding of hyperbarics, but not always having access to that. Um, and, and in my hands did not get sustainable or, or consistent results. So when the cyclical pressurized topical oxygen became available, I was interested in it from a scientific point of view because I understood the theories behind it, oxygen under pressure, the non-contact compression, I understood that from lymphedema and from venous stasis treatment. So even though there was still no science, this was back in 2015, there still wasn't any real good science available. I understood the theories and started using this modality in my practice. So basically today, we're, we still have those um, continuous diffusion devices, which now have some very good studies. And we do have the cyclical pressurized topical oxygen, which now has level 1A RCTs and excellent studies. And they've all been reviewed and accepted into medical literature. And so we're in a much better position today than we were many years ago. It's really amazing. It just goes to show that in a space of a few years, um, how much progress we can make in, in a subfield of wound, wound care, essentially. And, you know, this is part of the reason why we're so honored to bring you these master series, uh, 60 Minutes Interactive Immersive, is because it's essentially taking an in-depth look at key specialized subjects um, with the best global experts, telling us, you know, all the evidence that we need to know to try and convert these key technological advances into everyday clinical practice. And it's all evidence-based. Uh, and as you know, the... This particular subject, I guess, topical oxygen has a, has a strong background of evidence supporting um, all of its uh, conclusions that we're, we're discussing tonight. And I think that probably leads us into just exploring a little bit about um, one particular condition, which I, I suppose most of you watching this um, and you know most of our viewers, you'll be on the front line of managing diabetic, diabetic foot ulcerations and unfortunately some of those progressing on to amputations. So um, it's obviously a very key clinical condition to, to get right early on to try and prevent obviously these um, terrible amputation situations. Um, so let's have a little look at some of the evidence base behind 
topical oxygen and diabetic foot ulceration treatments. So um, let's go to Dr. Garifolis. Uh, let's see if we can have a summary of that. Um, as I stated earlier, there's been now a plethora of, of articles done over the past four to five years that have come forward, been peer reviewed and published. Um, two, uh, two studies that I want to review on cyclical pressurized topical oxygen is the RCT that was published in Diabetes Care. The RCT was able to demonstrate using this modality that we were able to heal wounds six times faster in 12 weeks and had reoccurrence times of six times lower at one year than the study arm that did not get topical oxygen. So that was remarkable data right there. We then had a real world evidence study that was done in a VA population and for mo most everybody understands that the VA population is loaded with comorbidities and, and these folks suffer quite a bit and have a lot of issues going on all at the same time. With this real world evidence study, uh, we wanted this study because you know people say in an RCT, well, I don't see those types of wounds. I see more severe patients in my practice. So we wanted a study using the most severe patients we could find. And, we did that in the VA, looking multi-site, two different VAs, over 200 patients. One arm got oxygen therapy, cyclical pressurized topical oxygen. The other arm did not. Everybody, all the patients in the study were undergoing regular treatments for their wounds using skin substitutes and grafts and, and different dressings. So they were all using top line modalities to heal their wounds. The only difference in the study is one arm got oxygen therapy, the other arm did not. And we even had patients that were on dialysis, had kidney failure. So we had a pretty comorbid group. What we were able to demonstrate in the real world study is over 80% reduction in hospitalizations after one year and over 70% reduction in amputations in one year in the group that got oxygen therapy. So this tells us that we have a modality here that can make a difference in patients' lives and make a difference in costs. So this paper had a, a little cost formula attached to it so that we could take the results from the study and put them into different healthcare systems and estimate what the cost savings would be to that system based on their diabetic population and their, their diabetic ulcer population and show them what savings they could see in the, in the terms of billions of dollars typically by using this modality. So we now have data, both in the continuous diffusion world and in cyclical pressurized topical oxygen that is definitive, it has been peer reviewed and it has gone under meta-analysis by several different groups, all extremely very positive. That being said, I probably should mention that the RCT that was published in Diabetes Care was just recognized by the International Symposium on the Diabetic Foot as one of the four top research studies in the diabetic foot in the past four years. Before, we were totally devoid of information. Now we've reached a pinnacle and we have a modality that is here to stay and demonstrated that we can make a difference in patients' lives. Oh yes, and real world data was key during the pandemic when obviously organized trials were unable to go ahead. Um, so I guess for the viewers that are watching, those who don't know what real world data is and how it differs, I guess it's uh, observational 
data. So it's it's gleaned from electronic health records, um, outpatient visits, inpatient clinic visits, and that information is gathered and conclusions are drawn from that rather than having a an organized clinical trial like a randomized controlled trial. And I suppose that sort of method of um, data collection and conducting trials really had its had its best moments during the pandemic because that's when uh, a lot of companies, a lot of researchers moved over to, to that style of uh, data uh, gathering uh, to try and draw any conclusions. And let's go to Dr. Hingarani next and just have a question about how do we think that translating that clinical evidence that we've seen presented, how do we translate that into clinical practice? I suppose the question is, what types of patients are you in your practical clinical practice? Are you using topical oxygen for? When we first were introduced to this, we were very, very skeptical of the technology. And um, we um, actually were not very enthusiastic because of the prior experience that we've had. Um, so we decided on some of our more difficult patients, um, the patients with long-standing wounds that we had already tried everything. We had revascularized re them. We had go ahead and fix their veins. We had optimized their wound care and they still continued to have wounds and they were persistent and quite unhappy with us and our medical system. Um, despite our best attempts and throwing in everything, including the kitchen sink, uh, these wounds persisted. And often these were patients who were referred to us from other clinicians. So these patients already knew their way around and they already knew they already had longstanding ulcers. So we decided on a few patients, we have nothing else to lose, let's try this. And as Dr. Garofolis was saying, if you try it, I think you'll be very, very surprised at how well it works. We were amazed within five weeks, some of these patients were um, turned around. One of the earliest signs that we saw was a reduction in the tissue edema and the pain. So that was getting back to what you had mentioned earlier in terms of the cyclical oxygen, in terms of the compression. I think that's an, actually an underappreciated cause of non-healing wounds. Even in arterial wounds, we get a little bit of swelling and we just attribute it to inflammation. I actually think that it may contribute to the non-healing of the wound. And I think if you have that compression, um, cyclical compression, it's quite light. It's only 30 millimeters of mercury. And it's mm -hmm. only for a short period of time during the day. It's only 90 mm -hmm. minutes in contrast to the continuous diffusion oxygen. Um, the patients start to say within a few weeks that they're feeling better. Their pain is getting better. And of course, you see the wounds getting better. So that's where we started. However, um, here in the US, we have quite um, a large array of patients that we are approved for, for using these wounds. Specifically, uh, acute and chronic wounds greater than 30 days old, patients who have ulcerations due to diabetes, venous stasis ulcers, post-surgical wounds, which I think is actually very, very important because those post-surgical wounds, transmetatarsal amputations that aren't healing, below the knee amputation wounds that aren't healing can be very, very difficult. And they're very, very common problems. Post-surgical infections, gangrenous lesions, decubitus ulcers, skin grafts, burns and frostbite. Quite frankly, this covers almost all of the patients that we would see with chronic difficult to heal wounds, at least in our, in our practice. So the application of the technology is quite broad. 
And I think that's one of the advantages uh, of this particular technology. Even if the patient has significant infection, this helps and in fight infection. We mentioned it earlier that the oxygen is toxic to these bacteria. And we have evidence in the studies that Agarapolis had mentioned before that infection is better with these patients in terms of wound cultures. Okay, so Dr. Hingarani, you're mentioning that patients are presenting late, um, especially diabetic foot ulceration patients. So let me just ask the panel, how can we facilitate an earlier management of these patients? I mean, what are the reasons behind uh, specialists like yourselves seeing these patients later than you would ideally like? So um, anyone in the panel like to tackle this, this question? I think that we're reluctant. Again, we only know what we know. Uh, I really see being having that bias. And as Dr. Hangarani said, these are the patients that when a new product comes in, we're going to use it on the worst of the worst. 12-year ulcer expecting a return right away. But I, I do want to say that when you start looking at actually the, the, the research, because the first thing I hear is, uh, how is oxygen getting there? But when you look at it, there was a study done and it showed that at two millimeters, the oxygen, which we talked about being high, uh, we, we talked about the wound being hypoxic. Um, now at 10 millimeters of mercury measured, we know that's not inducive for healing. And after four minutes of topical oxygen, that number went up to 40 millimeters of mercury. And so when you start showing the data, you asked me about lymphatics and venous wounds. I got a working hypothesis, but when you look clinically, these patients, the pain is decreased and also the drainage is decreased. Um, so now we are affecting, in my opinion, the lymphatic system and the venous system because that's where, where it lies. And so we're not using this in our clinics because we don't think about it. We're still thinking that topical oxygen is voodoo. But when you try it, like the whole panel have said, it's amazing what you can find. Interesting points about bias, Frank, and I suppose that exists and it's something that needs to be um, challenged a little bit to try and move forward and be open to advanced modalities being used in clinical practice. Um, one important topic is obviously, how do we assess the limb of, of these patients that are about to undergo uh, topical oxygen therapy. So who would like to go through limb assessment and patient selection with me uh, from the panel? When we, um, we have a patient come in and we're interested in, in getting started on treating a patient with, with whatever modalities we're going to use, of course, we have to make sure that they have adequate blood flow, that the wound has been debrided adequately, that they're relatively free of infection. I mean, the bacteria is going to be there, but if we can control the purulence and get that under, under control, we're, we're in good shape. And then we can start therapy. Uh, and traditionally, what we've started is with the four-week model of good wound care, we started with good standard of care medicine, which would be you know, a, a topical dressing, like a collagen or a foam or something like that, and have the patient back and measure measure how the wound would decrease in size. And hopefully at four weeks, it would have been decreased in size by 50%. And we can continue doing what we're doing. If at four weeks, it has not decreased in size by 50%, we have to up our game. We have to go to different modalities, such as skin substitutes or something like that. Now, topical oxygen being an adjunctive therapy, um, 
can be used at that four-week level as an adjunct of therapy. However, those of us that have used it and see how effective it is in treating these, these wounds are very encouraged in using it right off the bat. As soon as we start treating the patient, not only are we treating them with a standard of care, but we also would like to treat them with topical oxygen initially. And in many of the patients that I started initially with topical oxygen, instead of waiting that four weeks, made a huge difference in their recovery times and in the way that wound closed because we're able to affect that hypoxic level of that chronic wound um, very quickly early on and then have to wait for the four weeks. So um, again, it's very much up to the payers in the wound healing cascade that we have to deal with. Ideally, we like to start this off initially as soon as the patient comes to us with that wound, but often the payers may, uh, may say, you have to wait 30 days and then you can start this technology. But wound assessment is key because you have to pick the right wound. I mean, many of these folks have to go to revascularization before you can even start treating the wound in order to make sure that there's enough blood supply to heal the wound. So wound assessment is key, wound bed preparation is key, all very important factors in getting that wound off on the road to getting it healed. What a great overview that was of limb assessment. Uh, so thank you for that. That'll be very helpful for the viewers. Um, so can I ask uh, the panel as a whole, are there any clinical scenarios in which you would not use oxygen or any types of patients you would say definitely not going to use oxygen in this clinical situation? So one of the contraindications, because there is a cyclical pressure exerted by this technology, is that they have an acute DVT, you probably should not be using compression, and specifically the cyclical um, uh, oxygen therapy, I would probably be reticent. Um, all of our patients get screened before we start them on oxygen therapy. But I just want to get back to what Dr. Garofolos was saying. This is an adjunctive technique to what you're already doing. You're already assessing the arteries, you're already assessing the veins, you're already assessing the local wound care, you're already assessing for infection. This adds to what you're already doing and augments the healing. So that's the reason why I think it's important. It doesn't change what you're doing. The sleeve fits over all the other types of dressing changes from skin grafts that you're putting on, skin substitutes to compressive dressings to a total contact class all the way up to the knee. So I have some patients that have wounds up to their knees and they're a challenge. This still is applicable for those patients because it goes all the way up. This is uh, one of the misconceptions uh, with the early topical oxygen. And so we shouldn't be treating patients with osteomyelitis with topical oxygen um, because I hear from hyperbaric, uh, the hyperbaric oral because they think that topical oxygen treats it and it does not. Oh, thank you, Anil and Frank, for that clarification. That's really helpful to know. Um, so I think we'll come to Cara Couch next. Just to ask you, Cara, what sort of patients in your practice, uh, you're in a busy uh, center in Washington, D.C., what sort of patients are you typically using oxygen therapy on? So we use it on, uh, we do hyperbaric oxygen here, of course, but also there's, um, I think, great opportunity to use it for lower extremity wounds. And as I mentioned, I've also used it on upper extremity wounds uh, to help with uh, digital ischemia for patients that I cannot bring down to the chamber. 
um, because they're, you know, in the intensive care unit or what have you. So, uh, you know, there's a, a wide variety. I think that the key with using topical oxygen is you need a committed patient so that on the, if they're using on the outpatient setting, they're doing it consistently so that you can ensure that the therapy is being done daily or as prescribed. But, you know, it, it's similar to other technologies in wound care where, you know, they are fantastic, but you have to choose the patients appropriately to ensure the best outcome. Right, so quite an interesting practice with the ICU wound situation as well. Uh, and Cara, are there any situations where you would consider using prophylactic um, topical oxygen therapy? Any sort of situations? Yes, definitely. I think that we have opportunity to assist the patients that get digital ischemia from pressors when they in, they're in the intensive care unit. So we are about to start a trial on that, specifically looking at the hands. Um, you know, it's obviously any level of amputation is, is horrible for patients, but particularly when you think about the upper extremities, the prosthetic technology just has not caught up as much. And so those patients have a much more challenging time than a lower extremity um, amputation. So that's that's one option. Another area would be patients that suffer from Raynaud syndrome, um, similar to you know that where it would help them, particularly in the winter time. Um, those are patients that we sometimes bring into the hospital for IV flow land for five days, but this would be a much preferable treatment to do outpatient at home um, with them to help with it and another very painful condition, which can result in horrible wounds. So Dr. Hazar, as a vascular surgeon, what kind of patients are you finding um, are benefiting from topical oxygen therapy in terms of pain levels. So you're seeing quite a lot of patients that have pain secondary to ischemia um, and a lot of wounds obviously secondary to ischemia. So which, which types of patients are you finding are responding best to topical oxygen therapy? You know, one of the uh, great uh, sort of, I guess, secondary effects of the topical wound oxygen aside from wound healing is that it does show a marked reduction in pain. Um, and so we've had a really great response of, or compliance, I will say, with the patients doing this. One, it's very easy to use. It's actually quite comfortable um, for most of the patients, even those who have wounds, because they find that their, their wound now hurts a lot less. And uh, sort of reinforcing that with the patients has been a, a big benefit. Um, and, you know, any patient, as, as people have described in the past in the papers, uh, that it hasn't healed a wound for 30 days um, is, is definitely one uh, that we consider in particular those who are diabetic um, or who have otherwise non-revascularizable uh, ischemic uh, uh, issues or, or kind of even a mixed um, arterial and venous disease or arterial venous and lymphatic, which we have in some of our patients. Um, right now, we are limited in terms of um, insurance reimbursement uh, in the United States um, uh, in terms of having to qualify for a certain amount of time. But I do think at some point down the road, um, we might look at a certain group of patients and say, you know, we're gonna start this uh, immediately because it's a, it's a helpful adjunct to the other things we're doing. Thank you to our viewers who've, you know, stuck with us for the last 40 minutes or so. And thanks again to this amazing uh, global panel who've, uh, you know, shared their expertise with us. We've got a really um, exciting short segment on Q&A coming up now. So continue to ask your questions in that live chat. Just need to press the chat button on your screen um, and we can tackle any questions with this panel. Uh, so 
one question coming through will be about costing. So is there anyone that wants to tell us a little bit about sort of how this is paid for, particularly North America, um, in terms of CMS, Medicaid, Medicare, private insurers, and it seems to be a, a real um, challenging situation in order to get this coverage and a payment for this modality. Uh, so who would like to tackle that question? Right now, the coverage in the US is only in the VA setting, the Veterans Administration. And in New York, it's covered by Medicaid. That, however, will soon be changing as Medicaid in other states will begin paying for it, hopefully in the new year. And also we hope that CMS will come around and uh, allow it to be covered by CMS, at which point we think that not only will we have CMS coverage and Medicaid coverage, but the private insurers will then fall in line too. Hopefully all that will happen in the new year, but as of this point where we are right now, it's the VA, and um, New York Medicaid primarily, um, those folks that see community care patients from the VA in their practices can use this modality on those folks as well because the VA is, is covering their healthcare. So, so how long would a wound need to have been present for in order to be able to get this coverage uh, that you've mentioned? Right now, the most restrictive part of the coverage is in New York Medicaid where the wound needs to be present for at least 30 days. And then it gets reassessed every 30 days, which is appropriate. Uh, but other than that, um, there are no other restraints on when and how this technology is used. Oh, so we have a question about how does the technology work and basically how, how does the device work? So um, I think Dr. Garifoulis, you've prepared a video for us to, to look at that in more detail. Welcome to Advanced Oxygen Therapy's brief setup training video on the TWO2 Therapy Disposable System. You'll receive a 10 litre oxygen concentrator. On the back, there is a filter that should be washed weekly with warm soapy water. Central to topical wound oxygen therapy is the controller. The unit monitors the pressures and controls the therapy for the duration of the treatment. The power cord is attached to the bag and secured using a Phillips head screwdriver so that the cable is not accidentally removed. The oxygen supply hose is screwed in place on the side of the unit. The blue hose assembly is attached on the other side. The nebulizer cable is also attached on the same side as the blue hose assembly, lining up the red dot on the cable with the unit. When using humidification, Attach the cable to the nebulizer cup and fill the cup with an ampule of sterile water. The disposable boot arrives in a box of 20 units. When the boot is unfolded, you will notice the rib area that inflates the boot first, the cuff area that seals the limb inside the boot and a channel that reads the pressures within the cuff. In order for the correct pressure readings and proper boot inflation to occur, ensure the channel and the reinforced tab are kept free from kinks and bends. Line up the notch on the hose assembly with the notch on the boot and attach the hose. If you are not going to use humidification, use the cap to close the port. 
If humidification is used, attach the nebulizer cup to the port and ensure that the cup is facing upwards. Turn on the oxygen concentrator by pressing the toggle button at the front of the unit. Next, turn on the controller by pressing the top button. It will prompt you to inflate the bag. Press the bottom arrow to inflate the bag. Ensure the valve on the cuff is closed and put the limb inside the boot, just below the fold behind the knee. Continue to follow the prompts on the controller. Press the bottom arrow to inflate the cuff. Then press the bottom arrow again to start the therapy. The pressure in the boot is displayed on the screen where it will cycle about two and a half times a minute. While therapy is in progress, check there are no kinks or bends in the channel so that the therapy will not be interrupted. When 90 minutes of therapy are complete, the controller will beep and prompt you to stop the therapy. Turn off the controller by pressing the top button. Then turn off the oxygen concentrator by pressing the toggle button. Release the valve on the cuff so the limb can be comfortably removed from the boot. Then detach the hose assembly and the humidifier components ready for the next use. Thank you very much for, for showing us that uh, instructional video, Dr. Gareth Fullness. Um, can I ask the panel, what sort of specific technical challenges such as um, compression stockings or compression wraps or total contact casting? How much of these have an effect on whether topical oxygen therapy can be used or not? Um, who would like to answer that? Well, it certainly can be used with compression hosiery as long because, you know, oxygen can penetrate that. And I know that it's very challenging to put on and take off compression hosiery. So if the patient doesn't have to do that just to use this, this therapy, then we're ahead of the game. So they can use it over compression hosiery without a problem. We even use this technology if they have compression wraps on, such as a multi-layer compressive system or anything like that. And so it's not a problem at all. It can penetrate all those materials. I've used it in total contact casting many, many times. The larger boot was developed not only for venous stasis ulcers and the wraps that those patients wear, but also to accommodate a total contact cast. And so, you know, we think we're doing a great job. We finally get a patient on total contact cast. Let's take it one step further and give them topical oxygen at the same time. And so we can use, use all the modalities at our fingertips then. The only, the only, uh dressing that we would avoid using it with is a, a vac dressing. So if there's a vac on board, although I, I think down the road, we'll figure out a way. I've talked to Dr. Garfalis and a few others about, you know, for, for you know, the, the prescribed time, 45 minutes or so, twice a day, reversing the flow of the vac and, and pumping in oxygen, topical oxygen, that would be an awesome uh, thing, but that'll be down the road. But for right now, we're limited in terms of that actually been working on that also and what we've been doing is shutting off the vac for the 90 minutes while we put on the uh, topical oxygen so there are creative ways of combining the therapies because some of our patients really do benefit from the vacuum dressings but if you shut it off for 90 minutes slip on the topical oxygen and then go back after 90 minutes 
um, it actually works out fairly well. So we've been using both. The, uh, just one thing to add for Dr. Garofolis's topic, um, if the, as long as the wound, uh, as long as the wound dressing is gas permeable, so the petroleum gauzes, I really don't try to, I try not to use it with the petroleum gauze based um, dressing. So uh, everything else, I think it's fair game. So a question for the panel, which, which patients or which types of patients tend to respond best to oxygen therapy? Uh, you're talking about compression. And this is what turned me on to topical oxygen. You know, when we look at the venous-like ulcers that we have, we have a high recurrence rate, and we also have a problem with healing them. And so when you look at the U.S. wound registry, they say that 50% healing at 12 weeks is what you expect. But in other countries, we only heal about 43% heal about of these wounds. So when you look at one of the studies that look at venous-like ulcers, you know, um, they looked at patients with venous-like ulcers over two years with an inclusion of one year of no progress. Well, Margolis in 2004 said that if the wound venous-like ulcer is there for 12 months or bigger than 10 centimeters square, the chances of healing are 22%. And I see that in clinics. And this one study, uh, they looked at venous-like ulcers for over two-year duration. They had 76% healing rate at 12 weeks, which is better than what we see. But the other staggering result was the reoccurrence rate it was only 6% in 36 months. So that told me what I mentioned before. If you look at oxygen, cell health, and inflammation, that your foundation. And so now you have a stable wound bed surface. It's not going to break open again. So anyway, so that's the VLUs is terrific when it comes to uh, oxygen. And Dr. Hasler, I'm going to tell you that we just applied it to a patient that has no other hope. And vascular path, venous path also and in two days, his pain level decreased so much that he stopped taking, he was between 800 and 1,000 milligram of ibuprofen, and then in two days, he stopped, and he said the pain is better, and this was validated with Amazing. another study. Thank you very much to all of you, and uh, what would you say is the take-home message to the skeptics in the audience that are still reluctant to incorporate oxygen into their practice, topical oxygen, so what's sort of, what's the message you would give them after, you know, having this discussion tonight? So usually what I tell them, what I told them when I became a patient and I told the doctor, I said, I want you to give me every choice available that we have, because if my wound doesn't get better, okay, then uh, I could lose a limb. We all know that. So I asked him, leave your bias out and show me the evidence. And so uh, his talk was a lot different. I was the biggest skeptic in the world about topical oxygen. And until I started using this modality, cyclical pressurized topical oxygen on a, on a subset of five patients and realized the outcomes, I would have never believed that it was possible. And look, after many years of practice and using it on hundreds of patients, I've now decided to become the CMO of that company in order to you know, educate others on what this can do for their patients and their practice. I would tell them maybe to read uh, one or two of the papers that were really truly excellent randomized controlled trials. I think they were set up extremely well and, and the, the outcomes were really uh, astoundingly different in terms of wound healing. At, but especially, I think what I found so compelling was the recurrence rate, you know, the difference of, you know, like 4% versus 70 plus percent. Uh, recurrence. And we see in our clinical practice exactly that. And I guess 
I can also take my own anecdote of one patient that I had scheduled for an angiogram. And while I was waiting uh, to set up the angiogram uh, with a very difficult heel ulcer, uh, they came in 30 days past and it was during the time of COVID. So there was a delay in getting them into the operating room and the wound had healed. <laughs> so I, I've really found in my own clinical practice, a remarkable change in the uh, healing patterns. I think that you know, one of the key advantages that I see to using this modality, and we've referenced it several times during this um, this great lecture, is the, the pain reduction that you get. Um, I think we can't um, overemphasize how badly pain impacts quality of life. And if we can get these patients off of you know, even taking a thousand milligrams of ibuprofen and Tylenol several times a day, like that's a lot for people to keep up with. And it really is a negative impact. And that is, that was one of the most striking things that I noticed in addition to the obvious healing benefits was the rapid pain reduction, which, you know, you can't buy that for patients. Like they're just so grateful and thrilled that that has happened because it is so horrible that they're li living with this pain. I want to echo what the others have, have stated because I, I think uh, everything that they state has been not only accurate, but applied to us also. But also working here in South Brooklyn, we have a real problem with accessibility to care. And this home-based oxygen really makes a big difference for that helping those patients who may not have access to other types of care. This is a home-based therapy that they control and for our patients, it's actually worked out really, really well. So Dr. Hingarani, how did you find the COVID pandemic affected your patient care? Our patients didn't want to come to the hospital. They didn't want to come to a hyperbaric chamber. They didn't want to even come into our office. So having them have access to care at home was a big game changer for a lot of our patients. And quite frankly, seeing the wound healing in addition to the randomized controlled trials and the multi and the meta-analyses has, has been very, very important. So I think it's a combination, not only the literature, but also try it. I think you'll be very happy with the results. But as I said, it's an adjunct to what you're already doing. It's an extra layer that helps push those wounds across the finish line. Thank you very much to all of you at home who've joined us. Uh, to have this in-depth look at key specialised topic, which for tonight was topical oxygen. Um, we've done that in 60 minutes with some of the best global experts. Um, we're very keen to, to bring these key technological advances for you to use alongside your clinical practice. They're all evidence-based. All the links for the papers will be in the chat. And uh, we've had one on November 17th, which you can still watch on demand, which is the Pressure Injury uh, Master Series. And the next one we have coming up will be December 13th, and that will be um, Battling Surgical Site Infection. Um, and that's going to be a great uh, panel discussion with, again, the, the greatest global experts uh, around uh, who will be answering your questions in an interactive, immersive uh, session. So thank you very much and we look forward to seeing you next time.